Thank you, worship band and choir. <laughs> hey, good morning. It's a wonderful thing to be here with you this morning, and uh, especially as we uh, uh, end this, uh, this season and go into 2019, uh, what a blessing it is. And thanks again, uh, Ken, for, for gracing us with piano this morning. Uh, our scripture says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. This is the word of the Lord. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do and do that. And if we had an opportunity to read the beginning of that passage, it actually says that what the Lord really wants us to do more than anything else is to love the way that he loved. Uh, as we look at a, a message and as I began to think about uh, the sermon for the end of the year, this being the final message that you hear before we enter into 2019, a lot of things will go through my mind. And I know even this morning, all over the United States and even really all over the world, people are, are preaching sermons and riveting messages about uh, what you ought to do for 2019. Uh, great motivation messages are roaring forth and people are getting excited about all the good things that are going to happen. And I've been in churches where there have been great promises about great things that are taking place that are going to take place in the new year. And like probably most of you, I love reading books about the good things that are going to come about all the blessings that are going to come and how if I do the right things and great things are going to be ahead of me. But today, I want to talk to you about the grind, about the grit, about the struggle that, that, that's going to take place for you and for me in 2019. Anyone excited about that? No. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but we don't always get excited about the grit and the grind, about the struggle, about the pain uh, that it takes for us to be all that God wants us to be, for us to really make the most of every opportunity. Uh, as I was looking over at Ken today, I, I couldn't help but smile because I see Ken as he's playing now and those beautiful chords rolling out. And you guys hear that, but you don't know about the grit and the grind because I remember when our mom bought us that little spinet uh, piano when we were just kids in the hood in Madisonville. And I remember my mom working hard day in and day out. And so what you see today is you see the gift. But I saw the grind. See, I knew what my mom had to go through. Uh, she was a nurse's aide, and so bedpan after bedpan paid for Ken to be able to be where he is today. It's all about the grit, and it's all about the grind. I remember us being out there uh, on the streets in the summertime, playing with all of our kids. We grew up in Madisonville as kids. My parents were anxious to get us out of the ghetto, uh, which was downtown Liberty Hill. We lived right on Liberty Hill. Now, the house that I grew up in now was uh, three, four hundred thousand dollars. I couldn't afford to live there if we wanted to. But back then, my parents were, we've got to get away from this terrible place. So we moved to Madisonville. But I remember us as kids uh, day in and day out out there having fun with our, our friends. And all of a sudden, uh, I don't know where Ken is, but I don't know if he remembers Mr. Ellis. Mr. Ellis drove an electric 225, yellow in color. He would pull up the street and all of a sudden we would start running towards the house because we knew that it was time to go in for our piano lessons. Oh, yeah. Our friends made fun of us. Like, ah, oh, you got to go in and go for your piano lessons. I remember, man, constantly my mom saying, hey, you guys be diligent, be committed. And so uh, I remember Ken and us sitting there day after day going over the scales, just the mundane. Uh, so now I hear him playing these glorious, uh, majestic chords and sliding in out of the major and the minor. But I remember when it was just the scales day in and day out. And I remember my dad saying, hey, are you boys ever going to stop making that racket is what he called it. Uh, but see, we all love to see uh, the glorious, but we don't we forget often about the grind. We forget about the grit uh, that takes place ever before we see 
uh, the glory and the glorious take place in our lives. And so today I want to talk to you about that. I want to unpack that a little bit. And even this Christmas season, I sat down with my son who who is the uh, the Yale graduate in political science and then the Harvard graduate at law school. And see, we sat with our family. We talked about the cases that he prosecuted at the Department of Justice. Here he is uh, in his 30s, and he's prosecuting cases for hate crimes, flying all over the United States as he is with the Department of Justice. And we talked about, man, that must have been exciting. And he says, oh, yeah. And, Dad, remember when I called you from the White House? I'm like, yeah, I remember that. And I looked over at the rest of our friends and I'm like, yeah, that's my boy. That's, that's my boy. I remember when he called me from that day. It was actually New Year's and he says, hey, dad, you, you're not going to believe it, but, but I just shook, uh, Obama's hands. Now, I, I'm not, I don't want to be here talking about politics, but he says, dad, I, I shook Obama's hand. I says, oh man, did you really? Like, you're right. He says, yeah, we're right here in the White House and it's New Year's. I was like, boy, that's my boy. And I remember saying, hey, do you think you could give him the phone? I got a few things I want to talk to him about. <laughs> he wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. But see, I was excited about, about, about the glorious day when he was there at the White House. I was excited about hearing him prosecute, uh, rogue cops for crimes against, uh, civilians and, and prosecuting people for hate crimes. And, and I, man, I, I wanted so bad to go to the courtroom and sit back and listen to him. But what I really remember most of all was the grit. I remember when he was that little kid when we were just missionaries over in Jamaica, when he was the one who had to wake up early in the morning and chase off the cows off the line. And not only chase the cows off every day that came in every day before we had school, and we had school right there on our property, but he also had to pick up the cow pies. Ah, oh, man, that's the grit right there. That's the grit. See, I remember when he didn't have much to do because there weren't very other, weren't many other American students in our grade school there. We had about 50 students. There were a few Americans, but I remember there wasn't much to do. There wasn't a lot to do in terms of sports and musical activities. All he could do was open a book and read. All he could do was, was read these great stories that, that other people had sent over to us in the forms of books because that's what people do. They think missionaries want to have lots to do when it comes to reading. But I remember when he fell in love with reading. And so today, man, we celebrated. Our family got together and talked about, man, he's back here in Cincinnati now. And what's that next chapter going to look like? But I sat there, man, and my heart began to well up because I remembered the grind. I remembered the grit. I remember when he came back after a hard time in missions in Jamaica and uh, there was an opportunity to go to Seven Hills, this great high school right here in Cincinnati, private high school that we could have never afforded. I remember sitting down there saying, yeah, uh, he, he really could use a scholarship. I mean, this would be a great opportunity. He and, and his, his mom, we were just sitting there and talking about, boy, we really wish you'd let him in and let him take advantage of this opportunity. I remember they says, well, you know what, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Davis, um, I don't really think it's going to work out really well. I don't know if we're going to be able to let him in. I remember coming back again, and we were like, big, like, hey, listen, trust me. He can do the work. Trust me. I know that he can do the work. If you just give him the opportunity. I remember they said, well, really, Daryl, it's, it's really not about Gabe. His name's Gabriel. It's never really not about Gabriel, but we're really not really sure that you and you and Mrs. Davis are going to be able to fit in with the, with the social life here at Seven Hills. I was like, oh, man. And then I looked down at my clothes, and sure enough, man, see, I was a missionary kid. I, I, I shopped at the Goodwill and the Salvation Army. We didn't have all, all, all the good stuff. We had the gritty stuff. And I was like, well, ma'am, I tell you what, uh, we may look pretty rough today. This is a true story. We may look pretty rough today, but I guarantee you, when we go to those social events, oh, man, we'll fall in love with them, and they'll fall in love with us. I was so glad that they gave us the opportunity. But I remember the grit of having to go back and say, hey, give us an opportunity, begging, hey, I know that he can do the work. It's easy to look out and to see the glory, but it's hard to, to sometimes embrace the grit. 
See, we watch guys like uh, LeBron James on television t- making those jump shots and, and slam dunking that basketball. But we don't see the work that he has to put in on the leg rack. We don't say the, the, the grit of, of having to go in day after day and pumping iron and lifting weights and, and what it takes to be able to, to operate and to be able to play at that level. And so in 2019, uh, make no mistake about it, there are some glorious things that God wants to do in your life. But it's never going to happen unless you embrace the grit and the grind of everyday life. I'm here to tell you that there's a lot of pain for some of you in 2019. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of trouble that you're going to face. But see, in the Bible, it says, be of good cheer because Christ has overcome the world. Because he's overcome the world, guess what? You and I can overcome the world, too. It's all about the grit and the grind. Today, we're going to uh, unpack a story of a guy who knew quite well about the grit and the grind of life. Uh, he was one of, uh, I think it was eight kids, eight boys. He was raised by his dad. And he had the tough job, you know, the mundane job, the day in and day out task of taking care of the sheep and the goats. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have wanted the responsibility of dealing with the sheep and the goats day in and day out, waking up over and over and doing the same thing day in and day out. And we're talking about David. You might know him as King David today. You might think about the guy who one day uh, stood up against the great giant Goliath and took him down. But long before he ever got to Goliath, long before they, he ever got to the royal house, he had to deal with the grit and the grind of working out there in the field. And so, so what I want you to hear today, what I want to say to you, and what I'm hoping that you'll see that even where you are right now, even if you're dealing with the mundane and the everyday, even if you are the single mom or the single dad, and, and, and so, and so you're working at it day in and day out, and you have to both uh, bring in the bacon and fry it up in a pan, God hadn't forgotten you. He sees right where you are. And so even if you are, you're the one here and, and you're going through the, the responsibilities of day in and day going and working on that same job, and you're just doing the widgets, you're just moving, Moving this piece to that piece and moving the other piece. And maybe it seems boring. Maybe it seems like that there's just nothing else. And maybe you have these aspirations deep inside. I want you to know that God sees where you are right there in the grit and the grind, just as he did uh, with David. And so I want you to know, uh, even if you are here and you're, and you're part of the choir or you're part of the worship band, and, and so you're coming in and maybe you're ushering, you're doing your job uh, day in and day out. And maybe you think that no one sees all the work that it takes to, to wake up early and to be here early. I want you to know that God sees you where you are. Now, don't get so, so, so impassioned about being, wanting to move away from where you are, but, but find, find peace and contentment where you are in the grit and the grind. Now, David found peace and contentment where he was right there during the dirty work. Now, the Bible says that he became a worshiper. He, he began to play an instrument. They called it a lyre back then. I call it a harp. He began to play on his instrument. He began to get good at it. So good, so, so much that he began to get these gigs on the side. And in fact, the king himself at that time, King Saul, would call him from time to time to come in and play for him because he was dealing with all this depression and, and this stuff that, that they called an evil spirit back then. And so, so every now and again, he would call young David to come in and play his instrument. Not because David was, was the greatest there was, but because David was good at what he did. He was good at becoming a discipline as, that he learned from the grit and the grind. And so we're going to look at his life here a little bit. And, uh, and talk about uh, the transition that takes place uh, when we become disciplined uh, and dedicated in the grit and in the grind. And so uh, one day, uh, uh, as David was out there doing his thing, uh, working out there, and I imagine it must have been pretty hot out there, and, and no one else is out there but him just working with the sheep and working with the goats. One day there was this guy, prophet, this guy uh, Samuel, who was the prophet, who came to town 
And it was an exciting thing when a prophet came to town because you never really knew uh, what they were going to say or what they were going to do. Uh, these guys are pretty radical. But, but all of a sudden, there was this prophet that came to town. And see, he was sent by God. And his job was to, to go and to find uh, this guy who was going to be the next king, who was going to replace Saul as the, as the new king of Israel. Saul's time was once, but his time was no more. And so Samuel was coming into town, Samuel the prophet, and he, and he didn't really even know who he was looking for. He knew that he was supposed to go to Bethlehem. He knew that he was supposed to go to Jesse's house, but he didn't even know the name of the guy who God wanted him to call out. And so he shows up in, in this small town and, and they didn't even let David know about it. I mean, have you ever felt like you're left out? Have you ever felt like that everyone knows what's going on except for you? Have you ever been that one person just tends to find out what's going on a little bit late? David was that guy. And so, so what happened was Jesse, Jesse caught all of his boys together, all except for one. He called all of his boys together and Samuel, he stood there and he looked them over. And, and, and so God didn't tell him which one. He just said, hey, you're, you're going to know the one when, when, when the one comes. I mean, you're going to know him when you see him. Now, I'm, I'm going to uh, stop for a minute because I'm one of those guys that likes to, uh, to go shopping uh, around with my wife when she goes to the stores. And I don't know if you're like that, but, but you know, I, I, I'm a glutton for that kind of punishment. So, so every now and again, I'll go out with my wife and, and we'll go out shopping. And sometimes, uh, you know, she's looking for this particular thing. And I'm like, hey, is this the one? Like, I think this, you know, it's hard for me to tell what these dresses look like. They're just draping. But I think this might work. Is this the right color? No, that's not the right one. She says, well, what about this one? I'm sure this has to be the right one. No, no, that's not the one. And then every now and again, you'll get a clerk that'll come over and say, hey, uh, can I help you find anything? Nah, no, nah, I'm okay. It's okay. And so what she's really saying is, she's saying, don't bother me right now because I'm on a mission. And so after a while, I'll step back a little bit because I know that she's on a mission. So what she's really saying to that clerk and what she's really saying to me is I'll know it when I, yeah, I'll know it when I see it. And see, one of the most frustrating things about God is he doesn't always tell us what it's going to look like down the line. He doesn't always roll out the picture of what our lives are going to be. And he doesn't tell us about all the great blessings that someone's going to be preaching about this morning that's going to come down the line. He just says, you'll know it when you see it. So I read in Proverbs where it says the steps of a good man, that they're ordered by God. And so Samuel just simply needed to take a step. He didn't need to know everything. He just needed to go and take a step towards Bethlehem. He just needed to take a step towards Jesse's house and a step towards the young men who were lined up in front of him. And so what I want you to hear today from me is that that oftentimes, maybe in your life, you need to identify with Samuel. Maybe you don't know what it's going to look like. Maybe you don't know if you're even going to live the next day or the next day or the next day. Maybe, Maybe even they've told you that this is the last for you. But I want to encourage you to take a step towards God, to move a little bit closer in 2019 to the place that you'll, you'll, you'll need to be. You may not know what, what, what it's going to look like as your life unfolds. I like to tell you that uh, you're going to get a, a great promotion on your job. I like to tell you that no matter how bad your car is, uh, God's going to bless you with this great new car. I like to tell you that even if you've not had your first home, that this is going to be the year when God's going to bless you with that wonderful house. But all I know for sure is that the steps of a good man, not a good man in his own right, but a good man who knows the Lord, those man, that man, his steps are ordered by God. And all it takes is a step at a time and he'll unfold the plan. And so here he is, Samuel's there and he's looking over the guys. And he says, nope, not him. See, Eliab was the oldest son. He was this tall, strapping young man. Uh, you would have thought he was a shoe in uh, for the next king. Because usually kings are these tall, crafty guys. And the, but but no, nah, Samuel says, nah, he's not the one. And so they went through all the sons. And, and then Samuel says, hey, there has to be one more. There has to be one more. And so all of a sudden, uh, Jesse sends for young David. He sent for the stinky guy. 
See, that's what happens when you're working with sheep and goats. He sent for for David, and David didn't have time to go in and, and get showered and get the, what do they call it, the pedicure and the manicure. Now, David just showed up the way he was. I imagine as people saw him walk into town, as they called his name, hey, David, they're looking for you. I imagine they probably wondered, ah, nah, he can't be the one. I don't know who Samuel's looking for, but not that guy. Have you ever felt like that maybe people are looking at you wondering, ah, not her. Ah, no, no, they're they're a little bit too old. They're a little bit too young. Not that one. But all of a sudden, David walked in and and Samuel looked down and said, hey, that's that's the guy. That's the one. You see, I believe that if we're obedient in the grind, if we're obedient in the grit, if we're committed to the dedication and the diligence that it takes to do whatever it is that God puts in our hands to do, then wherever we go, we'll recognize and God will recognize and draw out of us the very thing that we need to be and the very thing that we need to do. And I like to tell you that that day after Samuel poured the oil on David, that everything was wonderful after that. I like to tell you that, that after that, they had this great parade, you see, and they, they, they drew out the trumpets and the, and the tubas and, and there was this big fanfare in the Eastern world. And they marched into to, uh, to, to the royal place and all of a sudden now David's put on the throne. And so, uh, but, but, but that's not the way it was. You know what happened? Right after that, David had to step right back to the grit and the grind of working with the sheep and the goats. He had to step right back to the very place that God called him from to get back to the grit and the grind. See, there are some things I think that God wants to teach David, and there are some things that God wants to teach you and he wants to teach me that can only be taught, that can only be learned in the grit and in the grind. There are some things that that I can tell you I know today that I only learned in the grit and the grind, in the pain and the dirt and the hardships of life. Learn the lessons in the grit and the grind. I imagine it must have felt like a setback uh, uh, to David as he went back. Can you imagine the other young boys who who saw him uh, the weeks and the months after uh, he once was told by Samuel, as everyone gathered in the town, hey, you're the one. Can you imagine as they saw him back again working with the sheep? Ha ha, David, I told you. Who do you think you are anyway? King, right? King of the sheep. You know how boys do. Can you imagine how they must have scoffed at him and laughed as as he had to go back? And can you imagine what he must have felt in his own heart? I I mean, we see him as as David the the glorious. We see him as a David that's the writer of all the Psalms. But I imagine the human David must have felt, boy, I mean, after all, he told me I was going to be a king. And now here I am back at the place I started from. Don't despise the grit and the grind uh, that comes in your life. Every day, don't despise the mundane and the regular and the the thing that you have to do day in and day out. Uh, Be obedient. Make the most of every opportunity that God lays out before you. Uh, And so there he was uh, day in and day out back doing the very thing uh, that God had called him away from. Uh, It was years later uh, that we we get to Goliath. Right there, we're talking about uh, first Samuel 16, but. But the, uh, these scholars, from what I read, said that, there, that it must have been uh, quite a few years later before he ever got to where he got to face off with Goliath. And see, the first battle he had was the battle of the delay. And so what I want to tell you that you may feel like you're in a delay pattern. You may feel like that you're back just doing the same. You're waiting for that one thing that you feel like that is the thing that you, that you feel really special about. Uh, but you may feel like you're stuck in a delay. And that's probably how David felt. And so long before he got to... First Samuel 17, where he faced off Goliath, the first fight he had was that one uh, by being stuck in the delay. 
This time I want us to look forward again uh, at a passage. And this is right before uh, David gets to face off with Goliath. Uh, What happened was while he was out there in the field, uh, just keeping the sheep, working with the goats, uh, his dad said, hey, David, I want you to go uh, to the front. There's this war going on between the Philistines and, and, and Jesse, David's dad, had already sent his brothers, at least three of them out, uh, to go and fight with Saul uh, and this army against the Philistines. And so David now was told by his dad, uh, it's not really a promotion, uh, but, but you, you were the shepherd boy, and now I want you to go and be the errand boy. And then I want you also to be the lunch boy. Take, take a little cheese and bread uh, to your brothers and just see how they're doing and come back and report it to me. I imagine Dave was thinking, man, I wonder when is, is it going to be my turn? I wonder when am I going to get to go and fight? Have you ever felt like that, 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 that when, you know, when is my turn going to come? I remember being the young musician at our church and uh, when I was just a kid and boy, I would mess up and, and place those. But I, I saw this guy sit down and boy, he laid it out. I remember being the young trumpet player and I thought, that man, this guy, when they invite this guy to come in and play, he's going to come in with this shiny box Stradivarius trumpet, you know, the best of the best. And, and so I sat down next to him as he sat down and opened up his case. I was a young trumpet player. And all of a sudden, he pulled out this trumpet, and this thing had all these dings and, and pings, and there was part of the locker wore off. I thought, what is he going to do with that thing? I mean, that looks like my trumpet. But see, he knew that it's not about... Uh, the tools, but it's about the skill and about the gift that God puts inside of you. So God was putting something inside of young David. So now his dad called him to go out there and check on the boys, check on my boys and see how my boys are doing. So David took his, uh, it wasn't a promotion. It, it was a repositioning. So David was got repositioned to go, uh, to go out there on the front and check in with his brothers. And so we're going to pick this up and look at this passage and let's see what God will speak to us about it this morning. So David shows up. Uh, He walks into the camp and he takes the lunch over and he hears them talking about this guy, Goliath, who's this big, huge warrior. And so David's like, well, why are we standing back? And this guy is taunting the very God that we love and serve. And so David asked this question in 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. David asked the man standing near him, hey, what what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That should defy the armies of God. And let's stop right there. See, David was, he was curious. I mean, why, who is this guy? And, and he, he wondered, what, what'll be done for the guy that takes this guy out? And so I think he had overheard the guys talking before because the reality is the, the deal was that anyone who, who was brave enough to step up and say, and face off with, with the, with the Goliath, uh, the king had promised them that he would, uh, he would marry one of the king's daughters, that there would be no more taxes to pay, that there would be great wealth. And so, da- great wealth. And so David was asking, what, what, what's in it for the guy who steps up? And so in verse 27, it says this. Those guys repeat to him what they had been saying earlier. And they told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills uh, Goliath. And so they tell him about the wealth and, and everything else. And then in verse 28, this is what I hope you catch here. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard David heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked, why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are. I know how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. See, I don't want you to miss this because first David had to fight delay. Now he had to fight discouragement. See, his own brother, and sometimes it's the very people who are close to you who look at your life and say, who do you, who do you think you are? See, I know who you are. You may say that you're God's man today and that you're, and that you're wondering what's going on, but I really know what's going on on the inside of your heart. What you really came down here is to see what, 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 what the real guys are about. 
I know what you've done last night. I know who you used to be. Go back to those few sheep you're keeping in the wilderness. And so right there, David had uh, the opportunity to either get mad and to do the wrong thing and to square off right there with his brother Eliab. I don't know about you, but I would have been tempted to. That would have been my fight right there. What do you mean? Who am I? Who are you? Isn't that how we oftentimes want to want to do? We, we oftentimes get involved with the wrong battle. But David did an amazing thing. He he says this. Let's look at it. He says, when Eliab, his oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he turned, he burned with anger. Why have you come down here? And with whom did you lead those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited your heart is. And then in verse 29, he says this. David cried out. Now what have I done? Can I even speak? And see, sometimes the, the very ones who want to discourage you, they don't even want to give you a chance to talk. But this is what David did in verse 30. This is the part I really like. It says, he then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. David turned to someone else and brought up the same matter. So what I want to encourage you to do is learn the art of the turn. See, sometimes when people are standing right in front of you, they want to discourage you. You don't have time to get into these big debates. Just learn the art of the turn and turn to someone else. If they want to discourage you and tell you that, who do you think you are? Oh, you're not smart enough. Uh, you're not the right shape. You're not the right color. You're not the right age. Don't get into an argument or debate. Just learn the art of the turn. Tell somebody to learn the art of the turn. Tell, tell someone that you learn the art of the turn. Yeah, you got to learn the art of the turn. I love that because David could have got caught up in the wrong battle and it could have ended right there. I don't think he would have ever gotten to Goliath had not he learned the art of the turn. So here again, David dealt with the delay and now he's dealing with discouragement. The next battle that David deals with and the final one that we're going to talk about is he had to deal with doubt. And so David turned to someone else. He goes on again about what will be done. And he's talking to the guys there. And all of a sudden, uh, the word gets to King Saul. And so Saul sends for David. And let's look at that in verse 30, 33. Verse 32, actually. And so David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, David, will go and fight him. So, so Saul hears about it. He calls David forward and he calls David into his private chamber and says, David, I'm hearing all these things that you're saying. And so David says, hey, listen, don't let anyone lose heart. I will go and fight this Philistine. And so verse 33, Saul says this telling thing. Saul replied to him, you are not able to go out and fight against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. Saul replied, you are not able to go out and fight against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. I don't know if you caught it, but there are two phrases I want you to, to really get down inside of your heart for 2019. He says, you're not able, you're only. You're not able, you're only. Has anyone ever looked at you and says, oh, you're, you're not able, you're only this. You're not able to do that. See, you're, you're not able to go back and finish your degree. You're, you're, you're only. See, I, see, my dad only had... Um, uh, a sixth grade education. He grew up uh, in the south in Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama. And he told stories when he was a kid about how they would have to hide him because uh, the Klan would kind of ride around their house and kind of taunt his family. And, and so he never really had a chance to go to school. He, he only had a sixth grade education. And so for me, every time I, I have this thought about going back to school, I, I get a little bit scared. In fact, uh, my friends uh, call it scurred. I, I just get a little scared about this education thing. I remember when I, I first went to college to get my bachelor's degree. And, and, and I got to tell you, it took me four times. Don't tell anybody. It took me four times to pass just basic algebra. Hmm. So now my son, of course, is a Yale Harvard guy, but they wouldn't even let me at the graduation because of my GPA in college. But, <laughs> but every time I think about 
about education. I get just a little scared. And so inside of me, it's not even someone else. I get this voice that says, you know what? You're not able. You're only. You're not able to really complete your, your master's in divinity. You're, you're, you're only. And so maybe you're hearing that in your mind. And maybe someone else is telling you that today. Oh, you're not able to do that. Maybe inside of your heart, you want to march into your boss's office and say, hey, you know what? I know we're having problems with X, Y, and Z, and A, B, and C. But, but, but I was just out in the field, and I was just thinking. And so maybe your boss is telling you, huh, nah, you're, you're not able, you're, you're only. Maybe, maybe you're, you're the, the, the mom at home doing the day in and day out task of being a mom, and you've got this idea. And maybe you go to your husband and you say, you know, honey, I, I've just been thinking. And maybe your husband's not a part of Cacho Presbyterian Church. And maybe, maybe what he says, ah, oh, no, nah, honey, you're, you're not able, you're only. Maybe they tell you you're only a woman. Oh, you're only from Cincinnati. You're not able. That's what they, uh, King Saul said to David. I remember uh, as I, I prepared to close, uh, when I was a young police officer, um, I remember I, I, uh, I got to a point after, after about three years where uh, I would train new recruits. And I'll never forget uh, Officer Daphne. Uh, you typically go through three uh, field training officers as a new recruit. And so Daphne had already gone through two. And they had already pulled me aside and said, hey, Davis, uh, we don't think she's going to make it. I'm like, really? Like, so why are y'all giving her to me to trade? Like, Davis, she, she's not going to make it. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, she's just... And so I remember saying, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, if she doesn't pull through, I'll cycle her out. I mean, I'll do what needs to be done. We have to go through the paperwork. And so I remember Daphne riding with me in the car. And, and let me tell you, Daphne wasn't the brightest bear in the woods. She just wasn't. I'll never forget, uh, she had this, this, this problem with understanding the difference between robbery and burglary and theft and... And breaking and entering. And I remember thinking, okay, let me, let me, let's give you a little scenario, Daphne. And this is an exact scenario. I said, Daphne, so let's suppose, this, this is our scenario. Let's suppose a guy is walking down the street and, uh, and let's say someone walks up to him and, and they rob him and, and they, and, and, and they snatch his wallet and take off with it. Is that a theft or is that a robbery? And, and I looked over at Daphne and I said, hmm, she, she just looked over me. Well, I tell you what, Davis, uh, you know, they, they, they stole his wallet. Sounds like a theft to me. I'm not like, Daphne, they robbed him. Sounds like a theft to me. I'm like, Daphne, okay, okay, let's go to another scenario. Let's say, let's say someone breaks into an unoccupied dwelling. It's unoccupied. No one lives there. No one's ever lived there. And let's say they, they, they steal some Grippo's potato chips out of that thing. And, and, and is that considered a, a breaking and entering? Or is that considered a robbery of a person. Hmm. Seems to me, Davis, that, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's gotta be a robbery. You get the idea about Daphne? And I, I hope Daphne's not here today. But, but that's just the way it was. And so, so I start to think about Daphne. Daphne, you know what? You, you're not able. You, you, you're only. You're, you're not ready yet. You can ride with me and, I, and I'm gonna try to do the best I can with you, but you're really not able. You're only. I was real good about rallying up these drug dealers that I saw on the street. And so I remember riding down the street and saying, hey, Daphne, see that guy over there? He's holding. That was my term. He's like, what do you mean? He, he, I know he's got drugs in his pocket because he's holding it real tight with his right hand. And see, I'm going to pull him around. I'm, I'm going to snatch him up and make an arrest. And I want you to see how the big dogs do it. <laughs> uh, see, you're not able. You're only. So what I want you to do is you, you stay in the car. Oh, I really want. No, no. Stay right there in the seat. Just watch. How do big dogs do it? See, you're, you're not even really a police officer. What you are is a probationary police officer. You're not able. 
You're only. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you roll down the window so you can listen and see how, how it's done. So I turn around right here in Walnut Hills and I, and I pull around. And I, and I, I, I'm going to jump out, Daphne. I'm going to snatch him up. I'm, I'm going to make this felony arrest and we're going to get a nice bump on our worksheet for the, for the month. And so I pull around in my car. I pull up to the curb. I jump out from the driver's side. I run around. Daphne has her window down and she's looking out. All of a sudden I reach up and I grab this guy's pocket and I'm thinking it's drugs. And all of a sudden he grabs his hand and my hand. And all of a sudden I realize this is not drugs. This is a revolver. And so here we are over the overpass between where you look down and there's I-71 and so cars are roaring by and so I'm holding on to this guy's gun. I can't let it go and get to my gun. He's holding on to me and so the fight ensues. Here we are going back and forth. I'm throwing him up against the little rail that's holding us from going over. He's trying to toss me back and this was long before there were screens. All of a sudden, this guy picks me up. Somebody say, oh boy. Oh boy. And all of a sudden, now I'm in the air. Now I'm no longer trying to just hold on to the gun. I'm trying to hold on to this guy. And you know, only there's only one word I could call out. Oh boy, I wish I could tell you I called on Jesus. <laughs> Daphne! <laughs> and I'm telling you, see, in my mind, Daphne wasn't able. She was only. Daphne was, see, she was this short, stocky girl, African-American girl. You know, Daphne, she, she wasn't exactly eye candy. See, all the other cops talked about Daphne. I'm, can I just tell you how it is? But all of a sudden that day, Daphne came like a freight train. I'll never forget it. Daphne came and she didn't just take him down. Oh, man, I, I, I might have some scratches and bruises here to take. All of a sudden, Daphne came and she didn't hesitate. But boom, we went down on the ground. And all of a sudden, I got up. Get him, Daphne. <laughs> my hands were shaking. No, no, this is the truth now. My hands were shaking. My legs were shaking. Okay, God, now that's Officer Daphne. <laughs> Daphne's cuffing him up and she's getting him into custody. And I didn't touch the gun. Daphne reached in and tossed it to the side as you're supposed to do. And I'm like, yeah, Daphne. Yeah, that's the thing to do. But see, Daphne wasn't able. She was only. I'll never forget going back in, talking to the sergeant. I think Daphne's going to do just fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. I can't tell you today what Daphne's doing in. I know she went on to be a fine police officer. I never can tell you that she figured out the difference between the burglary and the robbery or a theft. I don't know. But I know that Daphne had this, this, this wonderful, she had this passion about her just for life. And, and officers learned to love Daphne. And Daphne became a fine officer. But, but what if I just, she had just stopped and listened to me when I said, hey, you, you're not able, you're only. What if she just stopped and says, well, you know what, maybe I should just go ahead and resign and just go back to, because you're not able, you're only. And so, what I want you to hear today is maybe someone's telling you that. Maybe someone's telling you day in and day out, man, you're, you're not able, you, you, you're only. As we go on with the story, as I get ready to close out, I love what David says next in verse 34. David said to Saul, instead of saying, well, no, I really am able, and I, I know I'm, I'm really not in getting this army, he says, no, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And see, when a lion or a bear came and carried it off from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Do you see what David did right there? He went back to the place when no one saw him when he was still in the grind. He went back to the story of the lion and bear when there was no one out there but him and the sheep. 
And I want you to really catch that part in verse 35, because I think it's probably one of the most important parts. He says, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. If there's nothing else you hear from me today, I want to challenge you to go after it. See, there may be some things that might rise up and try to take from you the very thing that God's put inside of your heart. It's going to come. This year, there are some things that are going to attack your very being. But I want you to still to rise up and say, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to go after it. There's, there's something that's going to try to take away maybe your granddaughter and, and, and imprison her in drugs or alcohol or in some bad relationship. Don't just stand by and let that happen. Don't just come here Sunday after Sunday and sing some good songs. No, you go after her. I want you to be encouraged to go after it in 2019. Don't let anyone stop you from getting your degree. I know for me, man, I want them to say about Daryl, Daryl Davis at the end of my life, they can say I made a lot of mistakes, but I want them to know, you know what? Daryl Davis went after it. He went after it. My daughter Melody over in Africa right now, I'm glad that she didn't wait for all their money to come. I'm glad she didn't wait for a husband before she decided to go and be a missionary. Now Melody says, you know what, Dad? I'm going to go after it. So my encouragement to you today is to go after it. David said, I went after it. And he says, and, and when I got to it, when I, when I rescued the sheep, uh, the lion and the bear, sometimes they turned on me. And sometimes the very thing you're going to go after, sometimes when you get out there, there are some things that are going to turn on you in 2019. It, it's just the nature of it. And I imagine David probably had scars on his arms and maybe he had some bite marks where the very thing that he went after to chase after turned on him and bit him. Don't be discouraged this year in 2019 by the challenges. Don't be discouraged by the Monday. This is the year uh, when I think God wants us to do what he says in Ephesians. Make the most of every opportunity. Find out what God wants you to do and do that. But today we have some missionaries today who, uh, who, who don't serve overseas in some foreign land, but they serve right here in our very city. They're going after it. I want them to come forward right now.